I am excited because this is a new series and I'm doing it all about Salah, which means to pause or to contemplate, but it's, it's all about through Psalms. And I just I found 10 Psalms. I thought about doing all 150 of them, but I thought, no, I don't have three years to preach on this series. Um, so we're just going to keep it down to 10. But I found 10 Psalms that are really impactful and lots to be unveiled through it. But I hope you're ready because uh, God is ready. So if you want, you can get your Bibles out and get ready because the trick is already there. We're reading from Psalms 1 and it's a powerful little start of a passage. But it's interesting that that word Salah actually is found in the book of Psalms and it follows a lot of Psalms that are written. And it means or has the, the understanding of to stop and to pause. It's thought to be a musical note um, that means stop or pause because all the psalms are, are songs or poems that basically get read or sung. And uh, it's, it's a way of saying um, reflect on what is happening at the moment. Reflect on what has just been said. Stop and think. Pause and ponder. And to think about what you've read, to think about what's just happened, to comprehend it, to absorb it, to meditate, be a sponge. Any way you want to look at it, that's what really capsulates that concept of that word salah. I probably have murdered even the pronunciation of it. Well, you can say it any way you want, I suppose. But you'll find there's, uh, there's lots of different functions within humanity. And there are three functions that I want to draw out. Or this passage of Scripture draws out that uh, the standing, the walking, and the sitting. And in verse 1 it says, How blessed... I go to that passage of Scripture for you. There you go. Just in case you haven't got it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, for they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if you want to unpack that, there's, there's, there's at least three, maybe four, maybe even five messages that I can get out of. But I've had to unpack it only a short portion of time and uh, just to try and fit into one single message. But the psalmist actually presents two ways. He says there's a way of blessing and there's a way of judgment. Those who obey God's word, those who listen to him, will walk obviously in the way of blessing, and those who rebel will walk in the way of judgment. God's covenant that he makes with humanity is pretty clear. God blesses those who walk in obedience and judges their disobedience, or judges the disobedient. And over the, under the, when you come to understand how God works, God's judgment is actually delayed. Under the new covenant that we sit under, which Jesus formed, God's judgment on all his people is delayed. That doesn't mean when we get to the day of judgment, what will happen is tyranny and what happens. But you will stand before God, and this is how we understand it, and 
you'll either have the advocate stand in your place or you'll stand there yourself. So when we come to know Jesus Christ, what happens is our mediator, Jesus, right, the Holy Spirit, he comes before the Father who is the judge and basically says, no, he's covered by my blood and you get to leave into eternity and Jesus stands in your place. Those who do not know Jesus Christ will, will face the, the, the judgment of God, which is not necessarily a nice place. That's what we understand, comprehensive. But I want to begin to unpack this passage of Scripture in a slightly different way because I found it really interesting. If you just take that word blessed, and I've missed it. Where is it? No, I've cut it off. I'm not too sure how it happens, but if you open up your Bibles in the first passage of Scripture, it talks about blessed. How blessed is the man. Now, I found it really interesting when I began to break down that word. And for a lack of Scripture that I've put on there, I don't know what's happened. But that word blessed means asher. Okay? It, it, it actually means happiness. But not the happiness that we understand it or comprehend. It's the name of Jacob's son. When he gave his son, he called him Asher. Obviously, there's another person in our church called Asher. But it's the fullness of that word, blessed, that actually becomes quite interesting. And when you break down the Hebrew symbols for words, because Hebrew is actually written in symbols, not in uh, necessary letters, that's where it becomes really, really interesting. And there are two symbols in the word blessed. This one. Now there are many words blessed, but this is one, one word blessed. And there are two symbols. And one represents pressure, and the other one represents top or beginning. And so when you combine them, it means pressing the beginning. And the depiction of that is really simple. It's a, it's a picture of making a rope. And they would take rope and they would twist it. They would take strands of rope and twist it. And then they would take another strand and twist it in the opposite direction. So you have two now cords that are twisted in the complete opposite of each other. And then they would twist them in together. Now they would make rope from all different things. One thing was bark strips. Or another one was called sinew. You know what your tendons are made out of? That stuff. They would dry it and that's how they would make rope from. But what they would do is that they would take the two cords and they would take and fix it to the top. And the two ends of fibre were brought together, one over, over top of each other, twisting into a clockwise direction, wrapping from fibre over to fibre into a, into a counterclockwise direction, meaning that basically the cords were twisted in such a way that because they were different from each other, that they would interlock with each other as they were twisted. And the direction would wrap around the first fibre in a counterclockwise direction, if you can understand what I'm talking about, and the process repeated and repeated itself over and over again through the length of the rope. And the twisting fibres in opposite direction to cause the fibres obviously to lock into place, that's where it gained its strength. And if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes then talks about the fact that, that a three-braided cord is unbroken. Meaning that when you learn to twist 
your life in with God or let God twist in with amongst you, your strength is found with him being twisted with you. Not twisted in a negative way, but you interwine your life with him. And to be blessed or the picture of blessed in this passage of scripture is being twisted or interwined together with God. And the greater the level of blessing is dependent on the greater level of interwining with God. And that's what builds our strength. Happiness, in this context of the blessing, is found being twisted or interwined with God. True blessing isn't financial. Just so you know that, right? I know we talk about, oh, this man's blessed, this person's blessed. They're walking in blessing, but it's a wrong context. Because in this context, what he's talking about is to be blessed with God is to have been interwound with Him. To have Him part of your life in a process that He can't unwind with you. You cannot unravel. It's where your strength comes from. And then when we start to break down other things of this passage of Scripture, He then starts to talk about negatives. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Which means a man is blessed if we walk in the counsel of God. If we walk with him. If we listen to him. If we spend time with him. And the more that we spend time with him, the more we listen to him, the more our cords are intertwined with him. See, God's principles are conditional. Walking in a blessed position or walking in His blessing is conditional. His love is not. His love is unconditional. But His principles his con- are conditional. Do you understand that? To walk in His blessing requires action on our part. To walk in His love just requires you to exist. His promises are conditional. God's power is released in your life to the degree that you are obedient to Him and no more. You want God's power to move in your life? Walk in obedience. And the more obedience that we are able to walk in, the more power that's actually being able to be unleashed in our lives. It's like being interwoven with God as the Psalms go on. How blessed, how happy It's the person who does not walk, does not progress in the counsel of the wicked. See, we're given this picture from the psalmist. This is the very first psalm. This is the way to start a book, isn't it? That he begins to unravel this context of you will walk, if you walk with God, if you interwoven with God, you will walk in the fullness of the blessing that he has for you and no more. And when he talks about the ungodly, he's talking about those who are sinners, those who do not walk with God, those who do not listen to God, those who do not hear his voice, those who have missed the mark. They do not live up to the standards of God. Happiness is for those who are saved, right? who come to know God's voice, who come to hear him, who walk with him, who take on his counsel and don't listen to the unsaved in their life. The psalmist gives us a clear choice to make. Who are you listening? It's almost like a fork in the road concept. 
And each one of us actually comes to that place where who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to what God says or are we going to listen to what somebody else says? Who's influencing us? Who's determining how we go? Who's influencing us on what direction that we're walking on? The one of righteousness? The one where we are right with God? The way of blessing or the other way? Someone who doesn't see the truth cannot tell you about the truth because I don't know him. Not it. It's him. And what I value today, you might not. And what I thought was important 20 years ago, not so much anymore. The more I dig into his word, the more I intertwine my life with him, the more I am twisted with him, the more strength I have with him has been growing over the years. The more I spend time in his word, the more time I understand what he does, the more I understand who he is, the more I can understand what he has for me. What he wants for me. And it's this understanding that I, ha- I have because I'm intertwined with him that I can understand what it is to be blessed. Because he's my source. If I take counsel from those who don't know him, guess what? I'm going to end up exactly where they are. Old wise saying is, who lies down with dogs will wake up with fleas. What I listen to, what I allow to influence me, will determine the direction that I take. And that's a lot to take in. Because then you start contemplating, well, who am I listening to? What am I listening to? What am I taking in? What am I walking in? The next part, he starts talking about where you're walking, right? Well, that's the first bit. Then he starts saying, where do you stand? Nor stand in the path of sinners. Where do you stand in life? Because what they say? If you won't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. Standing in the path of sinners simply means, what are we doing? Is it what sinners do? Is there a clear distinction between someone who is a sinner and someone who walks in righteousness? Because there should be. There should be a clear distinction that when someone who's not saved looks at us, they can go, there's something different about you. What is it? Today, the unfortunately, the difference is minimal. I mean, some people call themselves a Christian but actually live in this place that's more like a a grey area. You know, there's often misunderstandings of what is a Christian. What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? You know, the simple thing is this. Read the Word. Read the Word. Because what that does is it begins to align me with Him and I begin to intertwine. So when I begin to walk in my own ways, when I begin to walk in things that I shouldn't, guess what? I get convicted. Something goes, something's not right. I've got to check myself. I mean, Christianity is a progressive relationship that requires effort. You don't become a Christian and everything's good and now you're fully intertwined with God. It's this slow process of being intertwined with God. A continual process, a continual building and developing a relationship. I mean, when you get married, the first year can be difficult. 
And if it's not, okay, <laughs> you're one of the rare ones. Because you have two different people coming from two different lifestyles with two different ways of living now trying to live together. I don't know how you felt, but I need all the help I can get. I married a strong woman. But there are going to be differences. There are going to be clashes. And most people bail out because of those clashes. See, I don't believe you can marry the wrong person. This is going to interest you. I don't believe you can marry the wrong person because you can marry anyone. I don't believe in soulmates. Some people might, might and, and if you do, that's great for you. But I believe you can marry anyone. It's wise to marry someone with similar beliefs, but I believe you can marry anyone and make it work with anyone. It just depends on how much work you want to put into it. Because you can marry someone who has the like beliefs and it falls apart. What determines how its strength, what determines... How it goes is not, oh, you're a Christian, you go on church, we're good. But how much you get God intertwined in your marriage. How much you actually learn and work through your problems. How much you actually work through your differences. I mean, Mel and I have had some doozies of arguments. Not so much anymore. And what it come down to was one person at the start, always happens, one person had to swallow our pride, you know, that thing that stops us, the ego, the pride, whatever you want to call it, and progress. I'm sorry. I mean, we have this rule of thumb. It's the relationship is more important than the issue. And that's become our center point. So at some point in time, one of us is going to have to swallow our pride and, and come to the other and go, you know what, I'm sorry. And it doesn't matter even if you're right. Because you can be right and still wrong. Because if you have, you can be standing in the rightful place, having the right answer, and it's a way of delivery that's put the other person off, that now you can't progress with each other. So aren't you wrong? This is where it becomes really interesting because he then goes on and says the final part of that verse. He says, And sit in the seat of scoffers. A scoffer is someone who's described as a fool. I mean, if you're, if you're mature, you might remember that TV show called The Muppets, right? I mean, they keep trying to reinvent it, but I don't think it works anymore. Kids don't seem to get it. And you remember those two elderly gentlemen you sit up on the... Uh, the, I don't know what area was in the top here, and they used to make fun of everyone, just laugh at everything. And yeah, they're scoffers. <laughs> they're the ones who don't listen to wisdom, don't care. They sit, sit it in their place of foolishness. They don't get interacting. They don't go and do anything more than just sit in that place and make fun of everyone else. They refuse to hear. They don't heed wisdom. They don't listen to anyone else. Right? That's a scoffer. And that's going to be a place of people we sit, where they can point out. Or the next, let me put it this way. It is so easy. It takes no energy at all. I was explaining this to my son yesterday. It takes no energy at all to find fault in something. No energy whatsoever. It is so easy to find fault because nothing is perfect. 
You don't even have to look real hard. It takes energy and effort to find what is good. So what are you doing? And we were having this conversation with my son. I said, dude, dude can, you, can you find something good or are you just going to point out everything negative? He was very quiet. But we all come to this place where it's a fork in the road. And we've got to make a choice of which direction do we go into. Are we going to be intertwined with God? Or are we going to be listening to people who don't know Jesus? Are we going to be those who are finding fault? Are we going to be taking unwise counsel? Are we going to be doing everything that we're not supposed to do? Are we going to be living lives of sin because it's pleasurable at a time? Or are we going to make the sacrifice and the effort to be intertwined with God? See, we get a clearer result. We get a clearer picture when we're abiding in Him. We get an understanding of what it means to walk in His ways when we actually do. And we get this thing called conviction when we're not. It then goes on and talks about that a tree is planted and will produce fruit in its rightful season. I don't know how many times in the Bible it starts talking about trees and seeds. It's this principle that God loves. And he starts talking about it so many times because it's so familiar to the people in the Bible. People plant seeds, grow a harvest. People plant seeds, grow a tree. But it's this concept of being planted next to a river source growing and developing and in the right season producing fruit. I have these fruit trees at my home and yesterday I was preparing them to go through winter. We bought some manure, manure, a whole bunch of manure and I put it around the trees and that'll give us a fresh bit of soil, give us some nutrients and then I put some more mulch on top and I watered it all in and got them all ready because I know that it's going to be winter and trees slow down in their growth, but they need to have a slow release. In about a week's time, I've got this fertilizer to put on that slow release so they'll get through and fed. And in the new season or new spring, they should come through and grow lots of flowers and lots of fruit. But a tree requires certain things. It requires watering. It requires good soil. It requires nutrients, it requires the sun. And it requires the right season because in the right season it will produce fruit. It's a picture of us, what we're supposed to be. That our source is from God. Now I've got so many notes, so I'm going to miss out on time. But it's this picture that God has for us. And he says, a tree planted by the waters... And how many times in the Bible do you read where waters is a representation of the Holy Spirit? Right? And a tree won't get to plant itself. It's planted. But it requires nutrients and it requires the sun because it's a process called photosynthesis where a tree will actually take the sunlight and turn it and develop it into a source that actually can take nutrients in the ground to grow food and to be able to eat and to be able to develop and to grow. And without the sun, the tree does eyes. And it's the same with us. We are supposed to be planted near a source of water. 
not in physical source, but in the Holy Spirit. We need it to develop and to bring forth nutrients from the soil, but we need the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, in our lives, who shines brightly on us, that it develops in us the ability to draw nutrients from the ground. And in the right season, when we are planted in the rightful place, we will produce fruit. And fruit is supposed to be sweet and it's supposed to be nice. But what the psalmist is actually writing is he's sort of depicting today. There's a blessing that comes when we are interwoven with God, when we let God develop within us. Like I said, I, I have a lot more notes. I'm just working out whether or not to go into them. We can't nourish ourselves properly. We were actually created for him. See, I believe when God created us, not only put all the giftings and talents and the purpose in our lives, but he also created a place for himself to reside in us. It's not a place that can be filled with anything else, although people try. It's a place that only he can fill. But what it requires from us is this thing called surrender. It doesn't feel very nice. It's something we need to do. And people don't like surrender because they think it's a weakness. But it's not. Because in order to fulfill our purpose in life, our fullness of purpose in our life, we actually need to surrender so we can actually become in that rightful place where we get our nutrients and we are receiving from Jesus in order to grow into the fullness so we can actually bring forth the fruit that God has called in our lives to bring. And you can't do it any other way. You can try. Most people try. But in order to do it in your own way, you're listening to people who are not walking in the truth and you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing and you're sitting in places listening to the scoffers, you know, the ones that are being negative. I mean, it's why God created the church. It's why God created this principle of church and he throws it through the Bible. First it's a family, then it's a tribe, then it's a people. Then it becomes disciples. Then it becomes those who are grafted into the vine. It's this picture. And church is not a building, it's a people. Because what the, do, what the church does, it comes around and supports. Because there's times that someone needs to put some manure around you. And there's times when we've got to stand in some manure. And it's not very pleasant. Because you can be surrounded by manure and still grow. You can be surrounded by what is smelly. Because we had it in the car yesterday. My kids going to complain. That stinks. And sometimes what stinks is really, really good for you. Because sometimes what stinks actually has the ability to draw forth nutrients from it when you just reach out for the sun. And when you reach out for the sun, the sun helps you develop the right things to take out the nutrients from the soil. So you benefit from the manure that surrounds you. That's it. But when we don't like the manure that surrounds us when we go, you, <gasps> it smells, it's stinky, it's gross. It's not fair. I didn't deserve this. 
What we fail to understand is the goodness that can come from it. Because I want to be blessed. I want to walk with an entwiningness in my life that God is my rope. And when I got married, I formed a third cord to come in and to intertwine with that. And if you looked at my life as a rope, there's a portion where it's just one single cord. And then there's a portion where there's a second cord intertwined. And now there's a portion where there's a third twine. And the third is the strongest. And the first one is the weakest. But I am blessed, not because I have stuff, but because I have Him. He is my fullness. He is my everything. And there are times that I fall short and I don't give Him the rightful times. There are times when I'm not faithful to Him. But He is faithful. And even when I am faithless, He is faithful. And He is faithful even when I don't do the right things and I have the ability to repent, make things right and get back on the path and let Him intertwine a little bit more and deeper. And the more I let Him intertwine, the less I'm actually touching what I shouldn't be touching. The less I'm listening to those unwise counsels because I can hear the difference between what is truth and what is a lie. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're far from Him. Perhaps this concept of being intertwined with Him is so foreign that you don't even understand what it comprehends. But I'm, what I'm doing is I'm giving you an invitation to begin the process of letting Him intertwine with your life. And it just starts with a yes. I'll be down the front and I'll meet you. I just want to pray. I'm going to close the meeting this there's tea and coffee. There's a morning tea outside. Well, not morning tea. It's a light lunch. People have worked really hard slaving over stuff. So please stay well, fellowship. Get to know someone you don't know. Talk to someone. Don't be a stranger. Help yourself. The kids will be released a little bit later so you get a head start. So don't be shy and think, oh, I shouldn't have the first. Because if you don't, the kids will finish it all. Or JMO. So we'll hold back JMO. But we're going to pray, we're going to close the meeting. eh? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have the ability through relationship and through covenant to, to be intertwined with you, to have you wrapped in and throughout our lives and around our lives. Father, because that's what it truly means to be blessed, to walk in the fullness of who you are, not to have, but to be with. So, Father, I speak over every person here, this desire to be intertwined with you, this appetite, this hunger, to have you more in their life, to have them more wrapped round through and with their life. Father, I speak the anointing of God upon their life that might break the yoke, that will break the yoke. Father, we speak blessings and favor. We speak your anointing to be over them this week. We speak health and life for those who are sick and unwell. We speak all the goodness that comes with everything that is with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.